Well, good evening all. Um, once again, I'm Chris, and I'll be the practice leader this month, and that means tonight I kick it all off with a, uh, a talk. And so um, this talk uh, this evening will be, in a way, a continuation of the last talk uh, that I uh, in, in gave, and that was a very practical, what I considered a very practical look at actually what happens, at least my version of what happens, following the breath, how that actually relates to mindfulness, why mindfulness is such a big deal within this tradition and many like it. And so uh, the, the talk tonight is a very real application of it. And uh, this was a talk that, uh, or rather uh, part of a book that Thich Nhat Hanh published uh, and I, it was back in uh, 2014, and then uh, this chapter was published just earlier this year. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but actually not by much. Um, this actually comes directly out of this piece, but one way to look at it as, is the art of suffering well, which is the idea of not avoiding, but rather learning to live with, which is far more profound uh, a lesson. And so Thich Nhat Hanh shares his thoughts, and I'm here to convey those rather than spend very much time editorializing. Um, so with that, I will uh, ask Don to uh, start us off with, with uh, three bells. So Thich Nhat Hanh starts this off, his, his discussion, uh, by, by laying it out in, in very stark terms. And he says that it's the essence of our practice to transform suffering into happiness. And wow, there's a formula, right? If you can figure that out, um, that's pretty amazing. And Thich Nhat Hanh actually then starts to do just that. And so um, I, I, I figured it might be a helpful thing in, in, in my efforts to try to, to put words to this, uh, to, to go uh, to what the definitions are. I mean, what, what do we mean, what actually is happiness? Um, and I started to think about that a little bit. I mean, we all kind of know when we're happy, but what actually is it? And, and so I found a couple of interesting, if pretty circular definitions. And the first one was, for happiness, it means uh, a feeling uh, or a feeling of contentment or showing contentment. I think that sounds, that sounds pretty reasonable to me as, as a good definition. Um, so then I went and looked up, well, what does content mean? And that is a state, uh, state of um, happiness. Uh, so there, there it is. Uh, so I, I then there was a synonym for contentment of being satisfied, and I thought, okay, that's pretty good. So sat being satisfied is meeting expectations, needs, or desires. And I thought, okay, now we're starting to get somewhere, right? I felt like that actually tells me something. Um, so then I looked at what, is, what the opposite of that is. Um, 
uh, and that's, of course, uh, suffering. And that is um, being experiencing or being subjected to something bad or unpleasant, or potentially you could say not pleasing, right? So being subjected to something that is not something that uh, uh, is part of our desires. So kind of bookends there, and that's exactly what Thich Nhat Hanh says. He really uh, lays these two ideas, suffering and happiness, down uh, as really uh, when you can't have one without the other. Um, and, and so I think that's a, that's a pretty profound way of looking at it. Um, obviously, we all want happiness. We're kind of wired that way. Uh, for many of us, that means what we want to do then is minimize suffering. We want to stay away from suffering and we want to orient ourselves towards happiness. And that's what I think a lot of folks do. But yet here we are, we continue to suffer. So that strategy fundamentally isn't working. And, and we see that on steroids in our own culture where it's you got to obtain the object. Um, if I can get into this job, if I can wear the right clothes or look like this ad, that must be part of this happiness thing that I find elusive. And of course, you get to that stage and it, you're left wanting. And so we're in this cycle. Um, and so what Thich Nhat Hanh says is actually pretty profound. He says, look, happiness is not an absence of suffering. It's learning how to handle suffering. And I thought that was, that was pretty amazing. Being happy is not to exist without suffering. It's about suffering well. And it's, 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 it's not as simple, by the way, as saying, oh, you suffer well and you're happy. It's, it's actually learning how to suffer well is a part of this more complicated idea of happiness. So it's not quite as simple as all of that. So I'm just going to start reading so I stay on track here. But, so there is no realm in which there's only happiness and there is no suffering. As soon as we open our mouth to say suffering, we know that the opposite of suffering is already there as well. Where there is suffering, there's also happiness, right? Both of them work in tandem. If we focus on happiness, then, then we tend to regard... Uh, that's where we're, we're tempted to look at suffering as just the thing to avoid, right? And yet we can't avoid it. And so we're stuck in this condition. We're not very good in our modern culture of knowing how to handle suffering. It's, it's where we lead into the sort of rabid consumptionism and the belief that, that, uh, that we obtain and that that's how we can manage these things. And retailers are, are perfectly willing to tell us that's exactly how it works. But until, and then this is, this is Thich Nhat Hanh, until, unless and until we're able to, to face our suffering, we can't be present and available to life, and happiness will continue to elude us, right? Um, we see this current running through a lot of religion, by the way. This isn't just a Buddhist concept. Um, uh, it happens in Christianity, this idea that, you know, attaching, it's, it's idolatry, right? We're attaching to an object. Uh, and I'm, I'm enough of a nerd that I got on this idea that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien spends a lot of time talking about attachments to objects and the harm that comes from them. If you're familiar with the stories, the story of this, the ring 
is a story of what happens as it corrupts people who become attached to an object. Um, and so it's a, it's a fascinating parallel um, that, that, uh, that lives even in this sort of fantasy world. So to Thich Nhat Hanh, the more we learn about the art of suffering well, the less suffering there will be. And that's not only in our own lives, that actually permeates this entire system. So as we collectively learn more about suffering, suffering has less of a, of a grip on us individually and as a culture and as a world. So unsurprisingly, uh, mindfulness is the key to uh, the way that Thich Nhat Hanh imagines us working through suffering. And he uses a very powerful phrase. He says, with mindfulness, you can recognize the presence of suffering in you and in the world. And it's with that energy that you tenderly embrace the suffering. Right? I think that's an incredibly powerful phrase. And so getting back to the discussion um, that I had uh, a few months ago, when Buddhism, or at least Zen Buddhism, really takes advantage of the fact that we as human beings, as animals with conscious awareness, that our brains work in a certain way. And that if we cultivate a practice of heightened awareness, that that process actually leads us down a path of transforming our way of thinking. And it doesn't even matter what philosophy we carry with us. We don't need to know the Ten Commandments. We don't need to know how the, the Heart Sutra actually works or what the Diamond Sutra even means, right? We just simply sit in the presence of this moment on a consistent and regular basis, and that changes the wiring in our heads. And that, to me, is the very heart, uh, at least for myself, the heart of this practice. But what we have now is where that practice, some of the fruits of that practice, right? Once we have gotten to that state of managing to get in, a, in that frame of mind of that presence here over an extended period of time, that's where we can start to manage through issues like suffering. And it's not about pushing it away, hoping it doesn't happen. You know, let's, let's envision a world that doesn't exist. It says, you know what, this is the world that I'm in. How am I handling the situation? How, what effect does that actually have on me? And it, what effect does that have on other people? What lessons can I learn as a result of watching this suffering happen over time? All of these are the fruits of this aspect of our lives, this suffering that goes on. So tying it directly into the practice, Thich Nhat Hanh kind of lays it out for us. Um, first, we learn to acknowledge, embrace, and understand our suffering. And just by embracing it and, and holding it there and, and seeing its effect on our physical selves, right? You see the confusion and the, and, and the going around and around in your head. You see the tightness in your chest and, and the elevated blood pressure. You can feel it sitting there. Uh, and, and experiencing that in a very real way has a profound impact on how we respond in that situation. We're also able to go further and transform our suffering into understanding, compassion, 
and joy for ourselves and for others. We'll explore this a little bit more in just a minute. I'm going to just lay him out kind of the way that he does and then revisit each one of these. Knowing how to suffer well is essential in Thich Nhat Hanh's view to realizing true happiness. Suffering creates an energy of understanding and compassion. It heals not only ourselves, but it heals others. So there were five areas that Thich Nhat Hanh sort of highlights as, I guess, in a way, it's the fruit of suffering, if you will. The, the benefits that happen by maintaining a heightened state of awareness and holding that suffering in that tender embrace. So the first is letting go, right? It's, it's, it's part of the letting go that happens throughout our practice. It's understanding and seeing those attachments and the effect that they have on us. It's understanding that it's the attachment to the thing, the thought, the object, that is what generates the suffering. It's not the object itself. It's not the fact that we're humans and we need to be better at this. It's just simply the fact that we have that attachment. And then coming back from that, back into the moment. That's, a, that's such a profound aspect of all of this. So there, he sort of explores that a little bit. Uh, you know, attachment to things can result in, in really two ways of it getting sort of caught in our, in our mental gears. One is the belief that, well, I, I'm not really going to be happy until I obtain this object. And of course you obtain it and it doesn't solve the problem. But then we also have an attachment to things that don't make us happy already, as if to get rid of them will make it even worse. So, so again, we just continually attach to things. Mindfulness helps us identify the attachment, and it helps us realize um, that it is that attachment that is the obstacle. And like it so often works in Zen meditation, you shine a light on it, and you have in large part addressed it. Just by catching it, it's like, oh, I see what I'm doing. I'm, I'm thinking about this again, right? And it's that, it's that, additional layer of awareness that, that comes with this practice that transforms our thinking. So the first fruit is letting go. A second one is uh, one that's familiar to, to those who have studied Thich Nhat Hanh for very long, and it's this idea of watering the good seeds. Right? So we, we have a tendency, what we pay attention to grows. If I'm paying attention to how amazing the world is, I will find ways to validate that, right? If I'm paying attention to how awful the headlines are, I will find ways to validate that. And so where we focus our conscious awareness is where we see growth and development. And so Thich Nhat Hanh's message to us is water the good seeds, plant the good seeds, help those grow. If we wallow in negativity, we nourish it, right? And there's a difference, by the way, between paying attention and wallowing. I think wallowing sort of comes with an attachment to, well, poor me, right? It's another to pay attention to that dynamic going on. I, I think that's a subtle and profound difference. 
Practice appropriate attention, he says. Water the wholesome qualities in us by touching the positive things that are always available and around us. And suffering can really provide stark relief for that, and I'm going to get to that. Um, well, it's probably a good time to talk about that right now. Um, if you have gone through, say, a traumatic event, here's just a really simple example. Um, sitting and, and meditating in the morning, it's easy for me sometimes to, to feel like, boy, I can think of a lot of things I'd really rather kind of be doing right now, and my back hurts, and that sucks. But then if I think back to where I was about seven years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's in the hospital and spend a lot of my day sort of wishing I could sit up, you know? And boy, that'll inform your morning meditation because it's like, wait a minute, I'm sitting here complaining about this. I actually can sit here and enjoy the world and listen to the birds singing outside. And I tell you what, that suffering about sitting here in the morning, it's gone, just like that. And so it's, it's informing ourselves based on the experiences that we've had and bring those to bear through conscious awareness. Another aspect of the sort of the fruits of holding suffering in that tender embrace is that mindfulness in and of itself can be a joy. It helps us touch the wonders of life, including our own body, including the sensation of actually being alive. I mean, you want to talk about a miracle, feel alive, right? It's, and we're all alive all the time, you know, at least if we're consciously aware of it. Um, and that's an incredible miracle. And we just carry it around. So imagine being able to tap into that through, through a meditative conscious awareness, right? It snaps into focus something that maybe eludes us. When we practice mindful breathing or mindful walking, we bring our mind home to our body and we are established in the here and now. And to Thich Nhat Hanh, that, that is a source of joy, right? We tap into this existence. I can't imagine a greater gift, quite frankly, than, than this existence that we have right now. This is something that Rowan has talked about before. Thich Nhat Hanh mentions it here. And it's this idea that with mindfulness, we are actually in control of, of where our attention goes, right? And I mentioned this in the last talk. It's like we have a fire hose of attention and it's going all the time. And, and largely, we sort of feel out of control of it, right? And over here, I see this stuff and I'm over here and I'm thinking about all this and now I'm, now I'm bouncing around, I'm worried about work and I think about that. Through mindfulness, we learn to train our brains, learn how to see that that's what's going on and say, wait a minute, you know what? I'm going to go over here and talk, you know, think about this other thing. I'm going to water the good seeds. I recognize actually that these are bad seeds. I'm going to stop watering them. I'm going to go over here. That's being the self-editor, right? That's the context in which I heard Rowan talk about it. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh mentions it as well. He mentions it as a, in the format of an artist, which I think is a really clever way of mentioning it. Um, I'm a movie nut, so I thought of it as being the director, right? It's having that, that ability to say where your brain goes. <laughs> that's, a, that's almost a superpower. Um, 
The next one that he mentions, the fourth one, is concentration. And, and this one, Thich Nhat Hanh actually starts to talk about some of these other categories. And, and I think it's really in that context when he brings to the forefront this idea of the artist at work. And then finally, insight. And that's what I mentioned before, this idea. You know, insight, we, we, we like to throw around the term enlightenment. And I think a lot of people um, think enlightenment is sort of this, the big eureka moment and, and you get it and, and everything clicks into place. And, and sometimes, actually, that, I do believe that happens. Um, but it really happens on a small level a lot as opposed to the grand enlightenment moment and you know, the, the eureka moment. Um, but for me, it is very much sort of following the breath and, and you know, thinking about what's troubling me or why can't I be in the moment right now. Um, or you know, I notice that as soon as I start a certain line of thinking that it, it immediately makes me feel all tense. Well, what's going on with that and explore it. But that insight can come as a flash of understanding about our, our condition. And I think that comes really from paying attention to ourselves over a period of time and just seeing where, the, where we connect the dots. You know, it's that, it's like I was saying before, it's, wait a minute, I'm, I'm sitting here worried about my back hurting this morning and the thought of even having the ability to sit and meditate would have been, seemed like a miracle, you know, at another time in my life. And so, you know, get with the program here. Um, that was, that also, I think, goes back to something I mentioned earlier in this talk, which is that that informing that, ha that comes from paying attention over time not only informs us of our own foibles, the things that want, make us want to attach to certain things and avoid others, but it informs us about the world around us and those around us. So if I have actually suffered and know what it means to suffer and have gone through that experience, I'm far more capable of talking to somebody who's in that situation and I can relate to them in a real way and not necessarily or at least hopefully don't sound like a Hallmark card, but actually somebody who's been there and understands what that actually means. And I think that is much more profound. Um, when I was in that sort of state of, of suffering, it meant a lot more to me to have somebody just come in and just say, hey, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm here to talk to you. you know? And it wasn't, oh, I feel so bad for you. That's a, there's, there's a difference. And people who I think have kind of been through that know being present is often more important than saying the right combination of words. And how do you know that? You know that because you've kind of been through it. At least that was my take. So it's a, it's, it's a profound set of tools. It's something that Thich Nhat Hanh obviously believes very strongly. He's been down this road. Uh, and so I think that um, he certainly knows what he's talking about. So I'm very curious uh, uh, to see how this issue uh, how it gets explored during our month together. Um, and uh, anyway, I'm eager to hear how the discussion tonight goes. So, all right, that's, that's it. <laughs>